Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Tuesday, October the 3rd. As we like to do once a week, we'll be chatting with our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. We have a few questions uh, for Bill today about all that rain that they got in New York. Uh, Bill, how are you? Did uh, I guess you survived uh, the rain, but it was quite an experience, Bill. It was. Uh, you know, we, we make jokes here. Whenever the weather uh, forecasters in New York uh, tell us we're going to have a terrible storm, People run out and buy their, their Energizer batteries, and uh, Energizer makes a lot of money, and then we get one drop. But this time, the, it was the reverse. We, we got up in the morning on Friday, and the, the forecast was, so, was for some rain. It turned out that what we were getting, and we still don't know exactly why this happened, was a previous forecast that mm. simply said rain. The nature of the rain did not come through to us. And I have an emergency Midland radio. Uh, I was tuned to the uh, the local television station. And, and we, I said to my wife, you'd better call the school. She's a, a college teacher. Uh, I said, you'd better call the school to see if it's closed. Uh, and she, so she looked at their website, which is the same thing, and said, no, they're open. Well, I guess I, we thought, well, I guess it won't be that bad. Well, we got out. We got into the car. We started driving. And all of a sudden, it was as if, as if a torrent of rain was poured directly on us. And we got to, uh, people will know the name here in the East, and probably others from seeing it in the in movies, but got onto the Bronx River T Parkway and everything just stopped. And people got out of their cars ahead of us. They were, they were good people and courteous people and ran back and said, everything is stopped. You'll never get through. You better get off this highway. Mm -hmm. Well, fortunately, there was a big grass section between the northern and southern parts of the, and uh, we were able to get onto the to the other by just going through. And I was very nervous. When you see heavy rain and grass, you don't know if your car is going to sink into the mud and be there right. for two feet. But I was able to do it. We got around, uh, uh, finally got to the school, and uh, when we arrived, I, 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 it was just coming down so hard I could barely see. I said to my wife, "No, don't get out of the car. Call in to the." inside and see if there is anybody there I mean, there's no movement and she did and uh got got a busy signal so she said i'm going and she got out of the car was a brave person uh with her umbrella got by the way the the act the lack of wind is what saved us mm -hmm. uh got into the school and she called me on my cell and she said yes everybody is here so go home and get back well i tried to go home and uh, there is nothing like, I'm sure in other parts of the country, this is common, seeing sheets of water come off a hill and onto the road with rocks and stones. I mean, it, it was frightening. I was as, as frightened for my car as I was for myself. I thought I'd be hit by rocks and that'll be the end of it. And uh, what happened then was I got a call. My wife, they've just closed the school. Could you come back? So I had to go back through all that stuff. And picked her up. We were able to make it home. But the, the uproar started almost immediately. Why were people not informed of how bad this was? To this minute, we don't know. There is a rumor, it may only be a rumor, that the mayor of New York was informed and just held the information back for too long. Yeah. It had, had we known an hour and a half earlier how bad this was <laughs> going to be, it would have changed the whole picture. Schools would have closed. Instead, we had uh, public schools open throughout the area where the buses that delivered the students could not get back to the school because of the flooding. 
and they were stuck in school for the, many of them for the entire day. Very bad day. Um, a lot of concern about emergency vehicles not being able to get through babies that had to be born. Uh, and I suppose there will be some kind of an investigation. But, uh, you know, the sad fact is as soon as it's over, people forget about it. And they go on. They go on to the next thing. Right. And in New York, nobody investigates Democratic mayors. <laughs> and it's, uh, well, I for me watching it on TV, the, the most interesting part was all that rain in the subway. Oh, that's yes. the subway. No, well, I guess not in the subway, the tracks. I mean, the subway tracks. And I, I kept asking myself, you know, why that would happen? Because yes. I could see that being very dangerous to passengers. And well, was was that because, and again, it's just a stupid question on my part. Is that because the drainage was designed that way or because the drainage didn't work? I mean, I, I it, it, it that to me was the most shocking thing. What you Seeing usually, all the rain in the subway tracks, Bill. Yes. What you usually get in that, that situation is, and I'm not in New York City. I went to 20 miles north of New York City. Uh, the subway stations that usually get the worst effects are the ones that were built first in the early part of the last century. The, the, what happens is the water comes down from the streets, down the stairs, the passenger stairs, going into the subway, and it floods the station. Uh, you usually don't find, if you're in the station, water coming down from leaks from above. It's from the stairs. Now, the question has been asked many times, why can't they put up a barrier? I don't know why they can't put up a barrier, but I suspect it has something to do with the fear that people would not be able to get out of the station yeah. and, and get out of the flooding. And yes, though the, the, some stations were flooded. It's a frightening thing. I mean, being in, for example, a subway car that has to stop between stations and stay there for hours because of flooding. Uh, fortunately, and it's quite remarkable, not one person was killed in, in, in this flood. That, that's good. That's the good part. Yeah. But, but um, again, we're going to have this again at some point, and I don't know what changes are going to be made. Uh, well, the, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Bill, the optics. I mean, just again, watching on TV, uh, not being there like you were or other people, but the optics of seeing all that water going into the the subway tracks at least for me was quite uh, quite scary because you know millions of people take those trains every day that's right and you hate to think that all that water would be in there when you know let's say a, a car is full of passengers and they cannot get out because it, it was just at least on television uh something that was pretty pretty incredible to watch but it is amazing that nobody died. I, I agree with you on that. No, nobody died, but I, I have to tell you, going through it, uh, it depended, by the way, very much on which road you were on if you mm -hmm. were driving. Uh, when we went home, we got onto one of the main roads nearby, and it was no different than any other day. But mm -hmm. that road is a modern road. Many of the roads up where we live in Westchester County were designed in the, you know, 70, 80 years ago, and they don't have some of the improvements and the, and the scaling, the, the, the the, you know, the, the uh, twisting of the roads. The, many of them don't have shoulders, so cars could not pull over. I only saw one car stalled. Again, very lucky. And a police car immediately came along and stopped and talked to the driver and then went on. And I suppose they called for help, you know, a tow truck to come to, to get them out. Right. But to, to go through, most people have enough common sense to know, don't drive in weather like that. That's the first rule. Mm -hmm. But if you get trapped, trapped in it and you see a huge puddle ahead of you, 
don't go through it quickly. Uh, you don't know what's under that puddle. The road could have collapsed. Right. But unfortunately, a few people, very small number, didn't get the message. And they would go through it. And the, the water that was just spewed into the air, it would you know go onto other people's windshields and they, they couldn't see. Fortunately, people got through it. I hope some lessons were learned. You know, we, we, what we worry about usually in New York, and I don't know why they, the image persists, what we worry about in bad weather is wind. You know, if, if a hurricane is coming in, they will always tell you what category it is, which means how much wind. There is no wind to this. It was just torrents of rain. And that really is where the damage is done. Apparently, in most storms, the damage is done by spot flooding or flash flooding. We get flash flood warnings all the time. And you, now we'll take them a lot more seriously. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly hope that people, when you saw those scenes of rescuers, you know, police officers or other, I guess, people rescuing people. I hope that sends a message to anybody who wants to defund the police. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they, they will reconsider defunding the police because, you know, sometimes the police doesn't get a lot of credit for when they do stuff like that, when they put their lives on the line, not okay. to protect you from a criminal, but to save you from a flood. Oh, yeah. And, and they don't get enough credit for that. And I, I saw some incredible scenes uh, on television. But I guess the question of the day, Bill, the big question that all of us have is how many batteries did you buy? Well, I am proud to say uh, I am proud to say that having learned my lesson in the past, I have a, uh, a whole shelf full of batteries some of which may, may actually not work because they're that old. Right. But I, I have the batteries. But most of the, the items nowadays are rechargeable, and I do keep my emergency radios right. uh, charged, uh, and I have a charger built into the, into the car. So in case I, I, I go down, and I have some really good, I have some really good emergency lights, uh, yes. one of which is on a keychain, and, and it, it puts out 200 lumens. Uh, so I, I, we were well equipped for a, a long-term emergency. The idea is to have enough food, to have enough water, and to have enough lights. Right, uh, exactly. And that's what I kept thinking about, the lights going out. Yes. I kept thinking about the electricity going out. I was thinking about that, what a, what a terrible thing that could be. Well, I'm glad everybody survived and that uh, you didn't need to do the, uh, our commentary today or our podcast today. Uh, on a boat somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, right? You know, rowing right. to Manhattan or something. I'm glad that you made it and everybody's okay. But it was scary. I mean, when you saw those scenes on television, uh, it was uh, it was pretty amazing. Well, Bill, I want to talk a little bit about something else going on in New York, and that's this trial of former President uh, Trump. I I'm very I'm very angry at, at that kind of justice. I I, I think this is a you know, sometimes Trump overreacts uh, too. I mean, let's say as much when he's calling the attorney general racist and all of that, you know, maybe he could control himself a yes. little bit more on that. But I I can understand why he's angry. This is a travesty. These were, tell me, tell me if I, if I get this wrong. These are, he's being accused of apparently overvaluation of his properties, but the people who who were lending him the money, the banks or the insurance companies dealing with the properties, they're, they're fine. They're not suing him for anything. No. They're, they're the potential victims. If you overvalue property, the, the bank is your potential victim. They, they're fine with what happened. So you have, to, you have to wonder, why would they dig up something like this? And I think I know the answer is they, they are obsessed with Trump. 
And again, Bill, my reaction, I think they're turning off a lot of people who may not be Trump supporters, but who don't want to see this kind of banana republic stuff in their country, Bill. I think that's absolutely correct. I know a person who is not a Trump supporter and who told me this is just wrong. You know, I'm almost sympathetic to him. And what you say is correct. This began with an outrageous pledge by the state attorney general in New York, which at one time was a prestigious office to during her campaign, she was going to get Trump. She not only said it on the campaign trail, she said it in videos that she put out. I'm going to get Trump. Well, a lot of people at the time thought this is highly improper for a candidate for a law enforcement office to start accusing a man and saying, I'm going to get this man who had never been charged with anything. Uh, she didn't present any facts. She said, I'm going to get Trump. And sure enough, when she took office, she started investigations of Trump. The Trump organization uh, has been in uh, in uh, power here or in existence here for, <coughs> for many decades. Uh, they have done business. I suppose they get the, have the usual number of lawsuits uh, by tenants pot, perhaps. But nobody ever accused Trump of being a, a crook. Uh, he, um, and as you said, and this is very important, the point you brought up is very important. No potential victim ever had any problem with the way he priced his properties. Banks don't just give out millions of dollars because somebody says this is worth something. They go out and do their own checking. It could be general checking, but, uh, the, the, you know, they want to know that, that the evaluation of the property, the valuation of the property is within bounds. And then they lend you the money. And they've had excellent relations with Donald Trump. To this day, you would think that someone from a bank or a uh, some other organization that he dealt with would, leaked, would have leaked uh, uh, concerns about him. There haven't been any. As you said, he did business. Uh, the thing that was so startling is that the presiding judge, who was really a Democratic operative, valued... Um, uh, Mar-a-Lago at $18 million. Well, if you know anything about Florida real estate in, in uh, Palm Beach, uh, I mean, maybe maybe the parking lot was uh, $18 million. But Mar-a-Lago is routinely valued by real estate observers as in the hundreds of millions. Right. And the judge says, well, I think it's $18 million. I mean, the judge is completely out of it. Yeah, I mean, what expertise does the judge have to make a call like that? You know? Yes, I mean, that's uh, the thing that puzzles me. But this is the sad part about this is it's not a jury trial. I think in a jury trial, he would be, you'd get a hung jury or he'd be exonerated. But it's a trial before a judge who is that, that particular judge who has already indicated that he thought uh, uh, Trump uh, committed a fraud. So he will be sentenced. Now they can then appeal uh, and they can then start complaining. The other thing that's so disgraceful is the role of the press here. I mean, you, you turn on CNN, they seem almost joyful that Donald Trump is in trial. No concern with the facts, no concern about the behavior of the attorney general. Somebody made the, the point, I think it was Trump himself, that the attorney general of the United States was in court on Friday. The attorney general doesn't go to court. The attorney general has her prosecutors. Uh, they, uh, they, they have people there from other offices. But the, and he said, where is the attorney general when all these children are being murdered around New York State? Right. She doesn't go. She doesn't go to any of those scenes. Only to this one to get herself on television. I, I and her background is she was a candidate of what in New York is called the Working People's Party, which is a far left fringe 
Party. Uh, she got elected because she was also the candidate of the Democratic Party. They put her on the ballot, and it was kind of an automatic victory. But I, I, I think some serious questions are going to be asked, and I would imagine that, that if he has find anything, that there will be an immediate appeal. Yeah. The question I have, Bill, is where is the serious Democrat who stands up and says, this is wrong? A little bit like Joe Lieberman with Bill Clinton back yes. in the NBA. That's the, what I wish there somebody would stand up and say, "Come on, you you know this is crazy." Um, but I guess no Democrat is wants to do that, which I find troubling. You know, you know from from conversations we've had before and from your history that it was five Republicans who went to see President Nixon. That's exactly in, right, in 1974. So where are the Democrats who are going to this Attorney General or to the Governor? and saying, cut this out. This is not right. I don't know, Bill. Uh, you know, it's a different party, I guess. That's all I can say. Well, there is very little left of the responsible Democratic Party. Uh, it is not the party I grew up in, and I was a Democrat at one time. Uh, it's a party that has no interest in the national defense of the United States. It's a defund the police party. And you can tell what the party is by the ridiculous appointment by Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to appoint a Democratic Party operative and basically political operative to the post of United States Senator from California. And we found out after he appointed her, she doesn't even live in California, that she lives in Maryland. I mean, now this is a woman, I, I would say, I, I, there is something here, I think it must be said in, in defense of Governor Newsom, because it is possible that he will be in the Guinness Book of World Records because the person he appointed checks off five boxes on the Democratic Party wish list. Uh, she is black. She is gay. She is head of a pro-abortion organization. She is a trusted advisor to Kamala Harris. Uh, and uh, that, that I think that should be in Guinness. Now, there's one box, as I just mentioned, she doesn't check off. And that is that she doesn't live in California. She lives in Maryland. And one a, a California congressman is making an issue of that and saying, is she even constitutionally eligible to be a, a, an appointee? Nobody except the fringe left is praising the, uh, the, uh, the action uh, of, of nominating her. Dianne Feinstein, who she is going to replace if she is uh, successful in getting through the, the confirmation process, Dianne Feinstein, whether you agreed with her or not, and I usually didn't, was a deeply respected United States senator on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. She was often described as the adult in the room, uh, praised by both sides for the way she conducted herself. Her legacy demanded that a person of stature be elected. Uh, be, I'm sorry, be, be submitted by the governor of California to fill out her term. I have nothing against this lady. I don't know... I've never met her, um, uh, uh, Senator-designate uh, Butler, uh, but she is the head of uh, Emily's List, which is basically a pro-abortion organization. Uh, she is uh, a party operative. As noted, she was an advisor to Kamala Harris, which should have disqualified her immediately. And she gets the nomination. There, there, I'm sure that there could have been women in California who had distinguished themselves, not necessarily in politics, who would have been an appropriate successor to Dianne Feinstein. But something that is interesting about Dianne Feinstein that was not reported in the press, I'm surprised, 
although maybe I shouldn't be. When Dianne Feinstein ran for her last term in office, she did not get the endorsement of the Democratic Party of California. Mm-hmm. Many people are not aware of that. They, they considered her much too uh, uh, middle of the road. They wanted a real firebrand. And so she ran without her party's endorsement and won anyway. But that era is now over. And the, and the Democratic Party is, is back where the governor put them, you know, back in the era of, of identity politics, hack politics, appointing not the best person to the job, but the person who checked off enough boxes uh, on, on the ballot. And I think there is a general level of disappointment. As far as the governor himself goes, he wants to be president. And right. he knows he can't be president without his party's nomination should, uh, should uh, President uh, Biden falter. And he basically was clearing the way. He was establishing himself as a candidate for president by this foolish nomination. Right. As far as California is concerned, they're not going to be well served. This woman comes to office without a single day of experience in international politics, which is key to a state like there are Western frontier. They face China. The, right. the ports of California are dependent heavily on China. She doesn't know the first thing about it. It's very no. sad. She is, uh, like you said, just a Democrat operative. Um, probably, to be fair, not the first political appointment to the U.S. Senate and in history. But let me clarify something. You said that she has to go through confirmation. Uh, you mean the the Cal- she has to go through the California confirmation? Because I don't think the U.S. Senate, and the U.S. Senate basically has to accept her uh, if she is selected, right? She doesn't have to be yes, confirmed I, I should, by the I U.S. Should, Senate. I shouldn't, yeah. have, I shouldn't have said Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. That's what I, I thought you meant. You I misspoke. I misspoke. I take yeah. responsibility. Uh, as soon as she gets the blessing of, of well, it, well, it is possible. It is possible, depending on the Senate rules, that if there is a problem, a constitutional problem, it could be brought up. We ha- I haven't. I haven't seen that territory, but uh, I do think that depending on Senate rules, there has she has to pass constitutional muster. However, that may be dependent on the state constitution of California. Uh, right, uh, right. Uh, the uh, so I think that is being checked today, but it is highly unlikely that anyone will try to stop her. Because there is no question that she was living in Maryland. I yes, mean, her last uh, their her last uh, residency statement or whatever they they filed. Was, yes, she uh, she was living in in she, California. So she, she is half owner of a home in California. Right. Uh, lives in Maryland, votes in Maryland, which is what they look at is the voting. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow, yesterday, she immediately uh, registered to vote in Maryland. So they'll, they'll say, well, look, you know, OK, it doesn't look too good, but she is she is legitimate. Right. And uh, and she has to and she has to go to the Senate. Uh, I, I am dismayed because, you know, there, this has been said about New York, that there was a time when the title of senator from New York was very prestigious in the United States Senate. Very prestigious. New York really was the Empire State. And the same thing was said could be said of California. California has had some distinguished senators. Um, uh, at one time, William Noland was the Senate Minority Leader, Republican from California. Uh, it is, has the largest congressional delegation. They deserve better. The, pe- the yeah. people deserve This was not a people's nomination. This was a party nomination. Right, exactly. And I don't know about the challenge to her address or residency, but I know 
that it's going to be an issue. But I, I have one last question about this, Bill, and that is, how are African-Americans going to react to this? The idea that somebody was selected strictly on the basis of race, um, that may be getting a little old, you know, always doing that. I and think you may... I think you, you know, make I just a very think good that point. a lot of African Americans are going to say, "Is that the best African American we have?" Yes, I I think you make a very good point. Several people have pointed out that African Americans are getting used to being patronized, and they don't like it. And right. a new generation is coming along. It's patronization. That's all that it is. And when the governor said before Diane Feinstein's death that I'm going to appoint an African American woman. First of all, that is grossly inappropriate from a, a, a national point of view. She is appointed to the United States Senate, not to a local body. And it's, it's, the, it's the grandest legislature we have in the United States is the Senate. The Senate's uh, a deliberative body, is the deliberative body of Congress. And to say that is itself so demeaning. If you were, for example, uh, an Asian-American woman, a Hispanic woman, uh, a woman of some other group, what would you be thinking? Right. I can't be considered because of my race. Right. That's the exact opposite of what we thought the civil rights. Well, they used to about. call it racism. The last yes. time I remember that. And I just, I just think that, you know, the point you make about the Hispanic woman, I think that, and I'm going to guess this, but I think I'm, I'm right. That as a percentage of the population, there are more Hispanics in California than African-Americans. Oh, many more. Many a more. dramatic so, difference. So if you were going to make a, a selection that represented the state, you would have been a lot better off with an Afri with a let's say Hispanic woman, if you wanted to put a woman, if that was a requirement. And that bothers me too. I don't know why. Yes. They have to say, why don't they just say I'm gonna pick the best person? And that not should, put all these qualifiers on. That should be it. You know, and he did the same thing President Biden did when he appointed a Supreme Court justice. In advance, he said it will be a black woman. It is so wrong. I mean, people people who've worked all their lives or were members of other minorities and or a majority and say, I can't be considered because of my race. Right. This is this is just not right. And I do think many Amer African Americans are becoming embarrassed by it. I think so, and I think that's why you're seeing you know growing support, uh, not necessarily for Trump or for Trump, I guess, but also for Republicans. You know, you heard about the mayor of Dallas. Oh yes, who switched yes. Uh, parties, and his in that article that he wrote in the Dallas, I mean, in the Wall Street Journal, basically he said these Democrat policies are not helping the cities. And that's why I'm switching parties. Now, he's catching a lot of heat for doing that, as you oh, can yes. imagine. Yes. And they're calling him a traitor down here. And they're saying that if he had told... I understand that a little bit because, you know, it, if, he, if, he was a, if he was a Democrat, which he was officially before, and then he switched. So I understand the Democrats' reaction to that. That's just a party reaction. But they need to read the article that he wrote, Bill. Because yes. in that article, he explains why. He, he was eloquent. and He was. And, and, and he is a very eloquent guy. I mean, I, I've always liked him, actually. Uh, I thought he was the one of the best mayors in the country, but didn't always get a lot of publicity. One last topic, Bill. I guess I also wanted to tell you, Bill, just as a side note here, that I, there's not a fire alarm around me. So don't expect me to accidentally turn one on. I am so proud to tell you that that is our congressman. Congressman wow. Bowman. Uh, Congressman Bowman uh, 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 was elected, I think, it was a, two years ago or four years ago. 
Jamal Bowman, uh, 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 he is extremely controversial. His district is a strange district. It is mostly in the Bronx and mostly uh, a, a district of people of color, but the district extends up to us in Westchester County and where that is not the racial case, not that that's terribly important, but uh, he, he is a man who demonstrates no wisdom no grace toward his constituents. It's made very plain in the things that he does that he sees himself as the black congressman yeah. uh, taking care of his constituency and nobody else. He's, we have a large Jewish uh, population in this district and he is very anti-Israel, very anti-Israel. He's a member of the squad. Uh, he is everything he shouldn't be. And now he has done this foolish thing. Uh, and the latest on that is that his office sent out an explanation in which it referred to Republicans as Nazis. Now right, he right. says. Now he says he he didn't approve that message. I didn't approve. I don't know who did it. I mean, why would anyone here say a thing like that? But the idea that he pulled the man was a high school principal. He knows what a fire alarm looks like, and the he, he was caught on tape doing it on the surveillance. Obviously, he intended to do it to try to uh, stop the debate right. in Congress, uh, which was supposed to be in the interest of the Democratic Party. Uh, they had to evacuate, I believe, part, part of the House. They he is did. guilty as can be, but let's see if he's punished in any way. Right. No, I think it's foolish for him to, I mean, it would have been better if he had said, yeah, I did it. On, I mean, it, just to admit it, especially when he's on tape, but I don't know if anything, honestly, is going to, to happen to him. One last uh, point this week, uh, political point this week, Bill, is Robert F. Kennedy running as an independent. Now, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I, I'm not planning to vote for Robert F. Kennedy, uh, not because he's a Democrat, but he's a bit flaky, actually. Yes. Uh, but he did say one thing, Bill, in defense of, of Robert Kennedy. He, he is one Democrat who has, at least to my satisfaction, spoken about weapons or, or arms. Uh, guns, I should say, and also on the border. On those two topics, I think he's better than most of the other Democrats. But overall, I, I don't see him winning anything. But if he gets 10% of the vote, that could be a big problem for whoever the Democrat is, Bill. Well, the the, the latest on that, I think, is that I, I agree with everything you just said. I think it'll be a big problem for Biden because 10% of the vote could destroy the margin of error, the, the margin of victory of Biden or of Trump. It's, the point has been made he might be as much of a danger to Trump because the people who are rebels in the society and who've been voting for Trump may see him as more of a rebel. Uh, so we really don't know. I don't know how what the latest polls show with him as in the race as an independent, which is, is what he would be. Uh, but he's going to take the votes away from somebody. It, it, it will change the vote. It changed the vote in the, the year 2000 when Al Gore was uh, denied victory because a couple of states were very close and they went to Bush because uh, there was an alternative to Gore on the political left. Right. I can't, can't remember what her yeah, name Yeah, I can't was. remember his, his name either, but he was a... It was a her. It was yeah, a her. it was, it was uh, uh, that's right. And and then, of course, uh, um, Ross Perot is, is the obvious case, but he's no, not hell. as big as Ross Perot. I mean, there's no, no. way... He, he, he doesn't, he's not going to get 19% of the vote. No, Perot, Perot's vote uh, in 1992 gave the election to Bill Clinton, who only, oh, got, who only got like 38% of the vote. Right. And even Bill, even in 1996, uh, even though he didn't get 19%, he got 9%. And I do think that hurt 
Oh yeah, uh, Bob Dole without any any question. I mean, Clinton probably would have been reelected anyway, but by a much smaller uh, margin. The problem is when you get into oh, the problem for the Democrats with a guy like Robert Kennedy is when you get into the into the electoral college because you take a state like New York, you have let's say uh, Trump, a Democrat, and Robert Kennedy. That might go for New York with Trump winning a plurality. Yes. And I'm not sure about California, but that could happen, too. So somebody was joking the other day that uh, Trump could win an electoral college landslide, 400 electoral votes. It could happen. Uh, I mean, that could happen, I suppose. Now, the question is, if he is convicted of anything before the election, will this have a negative effect on, on his vote? It, it does appear in the polls that it's beginning to wear down a little bit because mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you see him indicted in a situation like New York, well, well, you can say it's unfair. It's unfair. You know, but maybe he did some of these things. If he is convicted in other States, there may be some people, you know, it could be seven or 8%. As we just said, that's enough to swing an election just to allow Biden to squeeze it out. We would hope in a case like that, that the vote for Kennedy would would negate that but we don't we don't have the evidence yet you yeah, know nobody knows anything yes uh, that's right I, who, who was it somebody famous said that one time well yes yeah, somebody that was some, uh, steve uh, uh uh william goldman okay the screenwriter who said about hollywood nobody knows anything that's, right. that's yeah. right nobody knows everybody's predicting about the future but yeah. the truth is nobody knows beyond next week uh what's going to happen but bill i got one last thing we don't have a lot of time but i have one uh, one thing I wanted to say, uh, the Giants win the pennant. Yes, the Giants uh, win the pennant. Right. The Giants win the pennant. 72 19- years ago today, Bill. Isn't right. that amazing? That's right. And and that was what Russ Hodges shouted uh, when the, when when uh, Bobby Thompson hit his famous home run. And I was in, a, in class in school. Baseball was so big in New York that even in the best schools, they would shut down the school and kids could listen on the public address system to the game. We, I heard it live. I heard it live. And my next, my next period in school was Jim. And the coach came out, Coach, coach Deming. I remember him. He liked to be a philosopher. And he will say, I know some of you are disappointed. But some, we will argue, was this skill or was this luck? We will never come to a conclusion, yes. but we have to be good sportsmen about it. And uh, we, I mean, the, and this was, you know, only one of the blows that we Dodger fans f- right. faced during the 1950s. Uh, but it was a remarkable moment. As I understand it, the, the, the station that broadcast the Giants lost the tape and that what they are using today is a, a, a tape made by a fan who volunteered to give up his, uh, his tape. Uh, so that, that people could hear it in posterity. Isn't uh, that amazing? And there were amazing things that happened. Uh, Thompson and Branca, the pitcher, number 13, became friends. But later in life, they distanced themselves from each other when it turned out that the, um, that the, uh, the other team, the winning team, uh, the Giants, was using uh, illegal signals. Oh and, my and, gosh! And, and, and apparently, Branca became very angry uh, that he he learned it for the first time. Well, if you look at the video, I've seen the film. I guess they didn't call it video back then, but the video, the film of the pitch, uh, that was about as close to knowing what pitch he was throwing as I've ever seen. Yes, 
He was so an exact, yes. Yeah, I mean, you look at Branca swinging, or not Branca, but uh, Branca Tom, pitching and Thompson. Thompson hitting. If you watch that film closely, and I've seen it a million times, uh, just look at the way he, he stood there waiting for that pitch. If he didn't know that pitch was coming, He's the luckiest guy on the planet because That's it sure right. looked to me like he knew that it was going to be a fast. It, it was it was a it was a perfect connection. You you looked right. exactly right. It was classroom connection. Right. Uh, the other and, thing too, Bill. That the other thing that that I think, uh, again, going back to that moment, the other thing that that I think was very important about that moment or that hit is that it was a perfect home run for the Polo Grounds. Yes. Had he hit that ball in New York, it would have been an out to left field. Oh, that's right. In Yankee Stadium. You mean. In Yankee Stadium. Yes. But this yes. was in the polo grounds. That's right. The polo grounds was the intermediate field. In uh, Had he hit it in Ebbets Field in Brooklyn, it would have been out of the ballpark. Right. And in Yankee Stadium, yes, it would have been an out probably. Right. So, I mean, or, or for that matter, most ballparks, not just the yes. polo grounds. Yes. Most ballparks across the country because that was about a 300. Again, you look at the video and that was about a 320 foot line drive that either at worst would have bounced off the fence or been a fly ball to, to left. So again, you know, uh, amazing moment. But when you said the kids were listening to, to this over the speaker, I, I think that if I was one of those kids at that moment, I would have been listening to us and keeping the, the box score. Yes. Uh, I don't think we were doing that, but the, well, I mean, the, the sense of disappointment, the, 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 in our school, the Dodgers had a big following, of of the three teams in New York, the Giants had the smallest fire uh, right. um, following. I don't know why, but uh, the Yankees probably had the largest. Sure. But but it was but we were considered we considered ourselves better than the Yankees. <laughs> you know the old Roger Kahn uh, saying that uh, rooting for the Yankees was like rooting for U.S. Steel. Uh, it was that cold team, a lot of money, right? Bought bought yes. players. But it's a. But I just remember the coach. Every time we had gym class, we went up into the bleachers uh, to uh, to be introduced to that session. And the coach came out with his very somber talk, the wisdom of the coach. And then we were just sitting there saying, "We lost." You know, you should say we lost. You know. So. Well, I'm sure that there were must have been. You know, now they have counselors for kids. I'm sure. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> I, I bet camp. a lot of those kids could have used some counseling that day because. Grief that counseling. was really uh, – I'll just say one last thing before we go, Bill. They took a poll one time of historians and baseball historians and people like me who are interested. And, and that moment of, of that home run came in at number one of the biggest baseball moment ever. Yes. In the 20th century, that is. The shot heard around the world. Right. The world. Uh, so it's uh, – it's uh, it's it's. By the way, I love that phrase. The shot heard around the world. I yeah. love that phrase. That it came is. From, that where was, did that come from? It came from the American Revolution. Okay. That the first <laughs> shot was the shot heard around the world, and uh, baseball is always was always full of itself. Believing, I mean, the World Series ended in St. Louis. You know, it's when it's the World <laughs> Series. Uh, but that's the way it was. It was exaggerated. It was colorful, and it was a lot of fun. Well, and this was right there in New York, about what six miles from the two stadiums from the other. Oh, very close. They, uh, yeah, the so Subway, it was Subway Series. Yes. So I there was that great documentary that came out almost thirty years ago by Ken Burns about baseball. Yeah. And he calls this chapter chapter number seven, uh, where he talks about the nineteen fifties in New York, 
and he calls it the capital of baseball it because was. everything. And I remember my father telling me this, uh, that in Cuba, most of the men at that age were either Yankee fans or Giants fans and some Dodgers fans too. But the Yankees had tremendous following in that generation of my parents in Cuba. And, uh, and it was because it was in New York and, you know, there was a certain connection between New York and Cuba back then. Oh, yeah, very, so, very uh, close. Yeah. So um, anyway, Bill, as always, it's a great honor, a great pleasure to have you. And uh, we'll just do it again next week. How's that? Looking forward to it, Silvio. All right. Looking forward to it. Our good friend, uh, Bill Katz, uh, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Always enjoy chatting with him and reminiscing a little bit about uh, these great moments in Brooklyn Dodger history. You know, there's a fellow at our church who's a big fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers, too. He grew up in Brooklyn, and like many of those people, came to Texas eventually. And sometimes I enjoy chatting with him on Sundays about these great moments. For I love the history of the game, of course, and the Brooklyn Dodgers are one of the greatest episodes in baseball history. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk the next time. Bye-bye, everybody.